0: First Peter, uh, chapter five. We uh, again, if you're n- new to the to us, we've been going through a sermon series called Grace and Truth. It's a survey of the New Testament. We've been hitting the first and last chapters of most of the books of the New Testament. Um, last week, Peter began us in First Peter chapter one, and I'll be concluding us in chapter five today. Um, some of the shorter books, we'll try to go through. Um, uh, just in one week as we're nearing the end of the year um, and, and it's just been, I think, just a lot of fun to go through the New Testament uh, I encourage you throughout the week In between um, the time to read through the rest of the books uh, That if, uh, So this week, if you didn't spend some time in, in the book of 1 Peter Go back and, and read 2, 3, and 4 And see uh, just the, the the amazing message that God has for us there but we will read beginning in verse 1 of chapter 5 through its entirety so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight not under compulsion but willingly as God would have you not for shameful gain but eagerly Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Peace to all of you who are, on, are in Christ Jesus. This will conclude our reading. <clears throat> so I would like to just say to Michael Seppi, I finally am preaching on the passage to say kiss one another, greet one another with a holy kiss. So back when he was in youth group, it was always like, hey, let's talk about that one. Uh, so, uh, which just by the way, is kind of more like a, a, a warm embrace or a handshake in our culture. Uh, and some cultures today still do, the, the, the they greet each other with a kiss. Um, <clears throat> But we won't be focusing on that today. Uh, today we're uh, just, I think, wanna do a little bit of a deep dive into the, the, what is humility. Uh, he says, clothe yourselves with humility. And humility is something that is not often talked about or uh, something that we, we think about pursuing, but it is something that is so important to us as believers that we learn uh, to be humble and to understand what does it mean uh, to be humble before God you know, and Paul says it this way in Philippians 2. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. And so a definition that we could draw from Paul's writing is that uh, pride is selfish ambition and vain conceit, and humility is considering and counting others more significant than yourself. Um, It is uh, very difficult for us to consider others more significant than ourselves. Uh, We are so focused on our well-being, on who we are and what we want, that it is easy to neglect others or to put others in a secondary place. Um, I had the joy of sitting with a couple of guys around a fire last night um, and talking to them about this. And I was just like, hey, how would you define humility? And just uh, uh, hearing what they had to say about it and, and pursue it. And uh, And I just told them, like, Uh, in my life, I've recognized the longer that I'm a single man living by myself, the more selfish I become. I have tendencies that I just rule my world the way I want to, and there's nobody really that has to um, contend with that. Um, And so I learned that an antidote for me becoming more and more selfish is to invite people into my life. I have guys who rent rooms in my house, and it's more of a discipleship house, but it's an opportunity for me to serve. An antidote to selfishness is servanthood, to serve somebody else. And uh, so uh, I have these guys that, that come in and live with me, and then I got a dog a couple years ago, and he also has taught me a lot about my own selfishness, and, uh, and the importance of getting up early in the morning, going for walks, and, and going for walks late at night, and just all this. My dog is, uh, is a wonderful animal that has taught me a lot about my relationship with God, and uh, my relationship with others, and just, uh, and if you like dogs, you, you know what I'm talking about. They're just great, but, you know, walking a dog on a leash is just interesting. Um, I see myself in that where, um, in my relationship with God, I'm like that when, when my dog is trying to pull in all directions and away from where he's supposed to, which oftentimes I'm trying to pull him away from the road so he doesn't get hit by a car, keep him out of danger, and he's just trying to plow in blindly, that it's fighting against it, and that, you know when he walks next to me, um, and we walk in unison, that we, we have just it's just a wonderful walk, and it's, there's freedom in that. And then uh, and and just seeing this uh, this truth that as a believer in Christ, there's this tension that times where there is a freedom, and I but God's God's got me tethered; He's holding me back, like and He's keeping me from things. And I oftentimes I'm fighting against that, thinking what I want is better, uh, but later realizing that that God certainly has protected me, but this, this idea of serving or having things in our life to help us from becoming more and more selfish, uh, because selfishness is our default. We're born into sin, we all are sinners, and we are all focused on ourselves, and we live in a culture that promotes the selfishness and the selfish mentality. Um, I, I'm sure this note is as a little dated as I found it in a former lesson I gave on, on humility, but... Um, <clears throat> This, today we live in a in a selfie generation. That this generation is on pace to take over twenty five thousand pictures of their own face, and I said this is probably data. This is a few years ago, so that's probably even more. Uh, a commentator said, "We have decided to adore and live for ourselves, more so than at any other time, because of the technology we have and the social media that we have, but we're putting." Up images of ourselves and self-promoting and and we don't do it in a true and honest way, right? Like we don't want to like we take a picture and say ooh, that's gross Let me get the right lighting. Let me change my fix my hair Let me make sure my teeth are good And I'm, and I'm gonna do all these different poses to make that a good selfie, right? Because we're we're trying to present our best and then we're looking for the affirmation, affirmation on our best but What about you when you're at your worst? Like in the, in the deepest, darkest places of your life, and, and you don't want anybody to know that. You know, God sees you there. And, that, and it's at that place that God wants you to know that he loves you and he provided a way for you to find healing and hope in his son, Jesus Christ. Um, and, uh, and, but the problem is, is we get focused on ourself and we let, put layers of selfishness over ourselves so we're not seeing or hearing in the, what God has for us which is why we need humility. We need to come to Christ in humility and recognize I can't do it on my own. I need a savior. I need someone to do it for me. Jesus says it this way in Matthew twenty-three, twelve. He says, whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And James says it in verse four, chapter 4, verse 10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Um, there's this call to, to be humble. And so uh, if you heard it in the reading of chapter 5 of 1 Peter, and you recall back just a couple weeks ago when we were in James. James and Peter have a lot of common themes that go through them, and some of the, the verses are very similar to them. And, uh, and, and, well, I think that's because they probably worked in close proximity, both being elders of the Church of Jerusalem. Uh, but uh, very important, like their, their focus, their direction of their, what they're writing about is in different, is different uh, focuses, but they're writing about the same thing and the need that we have. And so this understanding of clothe yourself in humility is this idea of how do I put myself in the proper posture before God? How do I see myself before God and before others? And uh, as a side note, this isn't saying that we don't want to do self-care or soul care, like, we do want to take care of ourselves and, and pursue a healthy lifestyle. We do want to uh, seek to feed our souls with uh, the goodness of God, and, and we do need to prioritize our time with Jesus. We need to ha- have time with other believers to feed into our soul and to care for our soul. And so humility isn't... Uh, isn't a self-abasement. It's not uh, denying yourself to the point of hurt, harming or hurting yourself. It is, as C.S. Lewis said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Um, but I do say there are times that in our lives that things are going um, you know, crazy and uh, hectic and hard and it's a trial and it's important that we do seek self-care, soul care, sometimes it's going and uh, talking to one of our pastors or staff members here, uh, one of our elders, or it is going to seek counseling to say, hey, there's stuff going on inside that I need help with, and because uh, and we, we need to get that out, and so we can uh, find healing there, because even as we read um, in our call to worship that he says he clothes us, that God will um, he, he, he has covered me with the robes of righteousness. He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He gives us this picture of a bridegroom getting ready for the wedding day um, and this clothing ourselves in the salvation of God. And, uh, and as we come into then the next, uh, we'll break the, the passage down here shortly, of um, what does it mean to clothe ourselves with humility and, and, and be attuned to and take attention of that. So we want to do this because first we have to have humility one towards another. Peter begins uh, this chapter talking to the elders. Uh, he says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ. The context of 1 Peter is all about sufferings and trials. Life is difficult, and as a believer... God doesn't promise you prosperity, health, and wellness. He says, you're going to suffer. You're going to have trials. You're going to have hardships. Uh, You can't read 1 Peter and take it away and be like, man, God's going to give me everything I want. I'm going to have the house I want, the car I want. I'm going to have the job I want. I'm going to have all the money I want. Everything's going to go good. No, he says, life is tough. You're going to actually suffer trials of various kinds. James talks about it, too, um, that we have... This truth that this life is difficult, and there's a whole lot of reasons for uh, the trials that we face, and so he's he's writing to the elders of the church. I think here he in ch- he ends chapter four with the the heading says "Suffering as a Christian." Right before he gets into chapter five, um, and then and he'll jump down to talk about we have an adversary. Like so, right in the middle of. Um, talking about trials, he's addressing the elders, and I think that's important um, that the elders need to be aware of the fact that our church is suffering. Our people are hurting, uh, and that we need to have this posture of humility in what we do. And so I'm thankful for the elders we have at this church and the staff that we have here um, as they've been such a blessing and encouragement to me, and and they strive for humility and servant leadership. Like uh, here at Lakeside, we um, are opposed to positional leadership, where the only reason someone thinks they have authority is because they're in a position, um, but we seek servant leadership, and uh, we use the phrase that elders are eldering before their elders. Uh, servants are serving before their servants, and so before our elders were installed as elders, they were living exemplary lives as elders. Uh, we saw that quality and character in them. Um, And we affirm that as our staff has become staff Like it's what they were already doing We as elders and a congregation affirm Saying this is is right, this is good That's what they're doing Uh, Because it's from the place of servanthood and humility That we bless others Uh, But many of us know what it's like to be in a church With a domineering or prideful authoritarian figure And how damaging and wounding that can be um, and I spent a lot of time talking with fellow pastors and and people who have been in situations like that and um, and being able to just bring hope of healing from the Word of God um, to them uh, just the other night I was just sitting with someone who who's been going through it and like um, how to how to bring them hope from the word of God to that God hasn't disappointed them. Jesus didn't fail them. That a man has, that um, and so again, I, I say, said it bef- not too long ago. But as a pastor here, our um, and uh, I know our pastors uh, and elders and staff members, just uh, we love your prayers to that God would keep us faithful, humble before Him, and uh, and that we would do continue to be um, to do a good work here, because. He calls us to shepherd uh, the flock by being examples to the flock. Like, that's one of the earmarks, one of the major things about being a a leader is being an example. Uh, If you were to look at 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, or Titus 1, 5 through 9, and say, what are the qualifications for an elder, with the exception of apt to teach, Every quality and qualification of an elder is commanded to all believers. The uh, one uh, D. A. Carson said, "The extraordinary thing about the qualifications of an elder are their utter unextraordinariness. <laughs> like they are common to every believer. <clears throat> and so, when we find ourselves in those positions, that are we pursuing Christ in all these areas of our life, and we affirm that in our leaders, saying they are exemplifying." <clears throat> what it means to follow Christ in humility. And that's, that is our, our continual goal. So he starts with our leaders, are you being humble before God and serving faithfully as an example? And that is our goal, and that's what we seek to do. Because the focus isn't to be um, the authority. It's not to be uh, for financial gain. It's to, to know that when the chief shepherd appears, it says you will receive the unfading crown of glory that our hope and the reason we do what we do isn't for affirmation of, of people, it isn't for financial gain, it isn't for pride or fame, it is for the day that I see Jesus Christ and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant, that he gives me a, a, a prize that's unfading if I seek to serve him. And it calls him the, the chief shepherd. Um, shepherd, elder are, are words that I'll oftentimes use, uh, we, we just say pastor normally around here these are synonymous, but Jesus is the chief pastor of Lakeside Christian Church, and the elders and I and the pastors here, we are under shepherds, that this is his flock. It's not ours. We are his people. He's the one in charge, and we seek to be faithful to him because we report to him, that he is our shepherd. He is the chief shepherd, and when he appears, they those who are found faithful receive the unfading crown of glory. This is a, a reference to um, maybe the Ismanian games or the Corinthian games a precursor to the Olympics when they would run the race and they would be they finish while well, they would get a, uh, a, a, a crown of, of leaves that would eventually fade. Could you imagine spending all the time training, running, and, and then getting a laurel wreaths that you have on your head for a minute and by the time you get home they're already wilting and fading. Uh, like well, you know, uh, but it is actually a good picture Even though now we might use uh, gold, silver, or bronze You know, it's, it's a temporary thing um, and, uh, and yet, he says, faithfulness leads to an unfading crown of, You know, that he will exalt us in that time So, moving on from our, uh, our leaders, he says Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to your elders Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So the word here for younger, though many, most translations do put younger, it is also the word for new. Um, and uh, and in, the, in the Greek and the understanding of elder, it's different than, than the synagogue of the, uh, in Hebrew, where the, the Old Testament elders um, or the, the Jewish elders were, were typically advanced in years, older by, by years, as well as through that, meant led through a life experience, and study that they were uh, exemplified faithfulness in their calling. Um, In the Greek, it doesn't necessarily mean older, uh, elder as in older person and younger as in a younger person. It's more emphasis is on maturity. And again, going back to the example. um, So it's more like the newer Christians or to the general congregation, it says to submit ourselves to our leaders or elders um, and clothe ourselves with humility. You know, each and every day when we get up and we, we start getting ready, we want to, you know, we, we pay attention to, to what we're wearing and, and how we want to present ourselves, whatever it is. If we have a uniform for our job, if we're depending on what work we're going to do, we it's going to determine what we're wearing, and we put a thought and a process into presenting ourselves for the day. Each and every day, we should be getting up and clothing ourselves with humility. Again, reminding ourselves... Um, of who we are before God, and who God is over us, and what God's called us to do. In uh, chapter 3, verse 8 and 9, Peter says it this way, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for this you were called, that you may attain a blessing. Here's a way that we can seek to put on humility, unity of mind. We pray for, God, give me unity of mind, give me sympathy, give me a love for others and a tender heart and a humble mind. Uh, when we think of how we're wrong, do I want to react immediately out of pride or do I want to react in a, in a, a different way uh, to serve others? Also in chapter 4, verse 8, 10, Peter says this, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins show hospitality to, uh, to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. That God has blessed us and given us thanks to serve one another, to put others first. Um, someone, I don't know who said it, but you probably heard it, says um, joy can be defined as Jesus first, others seconds, yourself last. That when we prioritize That we put Jesus first, and it's putting Jesus first means I serve others, um, and then then I find true joy when I put others before myself, considering others better than ourselves. We say it this way at Lakeside, to love God, to care for others, and to communicate his word, because this leads us to prioritize who he is and our neighbor, um, and then in that we receive the blessings of God. He says, again, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble pride is our default and uh and we have to fight that in us and we have to surrender that as christians we come to god saying i recognize my sinfulness and i need to repent of it and and ask god to do a work in me um and not just we don't want to just come to the bible and say what does the bible say about pride so i'm informed but we want to come to it to be transformed and be changed by it. So it's not just good enough to say God hates the proud. We have to say, I don't want to be proud. I want to be hated by God. But if we look at Daniel chapter uh, 4, we see a picture of what it means for God to oppose the proud. Um, It's in in Nebuchadnezzar, when he he was told, he was warned that if you don't humble yourself, you will uh, be cursed. And in chapter, 3, uh, chapter 4, verse 30 in Daniel, the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I built by my might, mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? You can't say anything much more prideful than that, right? This, look at everything I've done. I'm so good. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men. And your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And for seven years he lived as a beast in the field, had lost his mind. And, uh, and then the story continues though. God gives grace to the humble. And Nebuchadnezzar saw the error of his ways and he recognized the king of heaven And God restored his mind and restored his kingdom. Um, And it's a true story of how God, when we humble ourselves, God rewards that like it is. And we don't want to just pursue humility for a reward. We pursue humility because we want to be like Christ and we want to exemplify him. But God promises us a reward humility uh surrenders our anxieties to God. This is a tough one, right? So humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Um again this command, humble yourselves before God. And then there's a phrase, therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. We could just if we just Take the phrase away. It just says, humble yourselves, casting all your anxieties on him. Here's what we need to do. We need to actively pursue humility, and we need to actively learn to cast our cares upon him, to cast our anxieties on God, to surrender those to him. Um, Years ago, I had had an opportunity to go on my first sabbatical, and it was a time of my life where the— a lot of tor- turmoil and transition had led to what I, what I would have said. I was in a phase of burnout. And, um, and I, uh, I honestly, I, I sensed a, a, a pride in me that wasn't healthy. And I remember going to the elders at the time asking for a sabbaticals. And one of the phrases I said is like, I need a break before I do damage. Like I don't want to do damage, but I felt this shortness of temper I felt a pride welling up in me, and I was like, I just need to step back for that soul care thing I was talking about. And uh, I was granted seven weeks, and towards the end of the seven weeks, I was at a youth pastor's conference in a session on avoiding pastoral burnout on, uh, on soul care, and uh, it was a really unique experience where in the center of the room, there were uh, six chairs. The, the, the leader of the conversation had one of the chairs, and there were five chairs, and he called it a, a fishbowl discussion. And uh, the rules were he would give a topic and then anybody in the, in the uh, audience could come and talk into it. But one rule, one chair always had to remain empty. So four people could be sitting and participating in a conversation. As soon as somebody else sat down, somebody had to get up and, and leave and to provide an opportunity for anybody else to come in. And I, I sat down and, and, I just, uh, and I began talking. I started sharing about what I was going through and uh, and then just talking about how surrendering it to God and how the peace of God had begun to restore my heart, and uh, and Marco the leader just uh, he said, "Did you see what you just did there?" And I was like, "I don't know." How many of you talk with your hands? Anybody like talk to with hands? I do a lot of stuff with my hands when I talk. And uh, apparently, what I had did is when I was talking about the turmoils and troubles, I was talking about this. I was just like, I, I was close-fisted, white-knuckling it, and it was heavy and hard. And then when I started talking about learning to surrender to God, I just naturally opened my hands. And, uh, and he's like, "That that's the posture. That's the posture. We come empty-handed before God, that we need to come before him, and we lift him up. When we raise up holy hands in song, it's, it's, it's reaching up empty-handed. Here I am, God. This is the posture that I come in prayer, that I'm laying things down at your feet. I'm surrendering to you, um, and He will lift us up. And even in that phrase, like uh, the one of the most beautiful human express, expressions we ever uh, get to experience is when a child comes running up with hands open, you know, and we exalt them, we lift them up, right, and we hold them close. And that's what God does for us. <clears throat> and so He does this with His. He uh, says, "Under the mighty hand of God." In this use, Peter saying, "Under the mighty hand of God, that He's working for us." He's not threatening us with the mighty hand of God of punishment. He's saying the mighty hand of God will deliver us. And this is a reference even back to the uh, Israelites being released from Egypt. I, I just One of the quotes, again, in Daniel chapter 9, verse 15 says, And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and have made a name for yourself, as, as at this day we have sinned, We have done wickedly. This coming to God and recognizing the mighty hand of God is for his people for deliverance. That we go to him with our anxieties, with our stresses, with our cares, with our struggles, because he has the mighty hand to deliver us. Um, In our pride, we want to control our life. In our pride, we want to um, rule our world. And um, we we don't want to recognize God as God. Um, God designed us and created us in his image In his likeness and he says that He created us just a little little lower than the angels Like there's a sense in each of us of this This will, this desire to rule And one of the the first commandments Is to take dominion, to rule over things That this is part of us And we then turn that internal And we want to be as uh, Satan We want to be God We want to rule our own universe I am God of my life and the more we fight with control of that and we try to do everything, the more we run into disappointments which then leads to more anxieties, more sufferings, more struggles. And, uh, and God wants us to come to him with all of that and say, God, you're in control, I'm not. Let, help me surrender this to you. And, uh, and we do that with our, our anxieties and our cares. Now, anxiety is a, a major issue in our culture today. Anxiety and depression have spiked, especially since covid And really, I think the spike had started around 2004 when the smartphones really started hitting the market. Um, But, um, and and it is one of the most recent studies says, if you want your anxiety and depression levels to drop within one week, avoid social media. If you take a break from social media, anxiety and depression levels fall. Um, And we are inundated with so much stuff. Not all anxiety is sin, so we're not saying that if you're anxious, you're, it's necessarily a sin. Anxiety is a human emotion and experience that when things aren't going right, we feel different things and we have different levels of it. God's saying you don't have to stay in the anxiety that he wants to deliver us and lead us out through his mighty hand. It might be a process. It might take some time, but we have to begin by having the conversation. We have to acknowledge it for what it is and that God wants us in humility to recognize that we can't handle it on our own, that we need someone to champion for us, and we want to turn it over to him, um, and he will work things out in our lives because he cares for you. You I know in the the King James it says, cast your cares on him for he cares for you, like the little cares and cares. Like we use care, English is one of those uh, languages where words, just have so many multiple meanings, but the cares of this world, the cares of our life, the cares of everything we have, that we need to take that because, it's because God, God cares for us in a relentless, enduring, steadfast way. Do you trust the fact that God cares for you and therefore you can surrender your anxieties? You know, the biggest struggle we have is believing lies about God in our life. For every sin we commit, we could trace that back to a lie that we believe about God. Whether we don't believe his provision, we don't believe he'll care for us, we don't think he'll come through for us, but when we begin to recognize the lies we're believing about God and understand who God really is, that we can then lay that lie down, lay those things down at his feet and see him restore us, to heal us, to cleanse us, um, to draw us in. And humility before God that surrenders anxieties to him, learn, gives us an opportunity to live a, a carefree life before God. Not that we don't care about things, but we have this feeling God's got this. God's got my back. God's got me. I'm not holding God up. He's holding me up. And it's, uh, in the mighty hand of God that cares for me is someone I can trust with everything and surrender it to it. So we need... Um, humility to one another. We need humil- humility that surrenders our anxieties to God, and we humility resists our adversary. In <clears throat> verses 8 and 9, it talks about our adversary, the devil that prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And what a what a depiction that captures our mind about a, a lion roaring. Well, when I went to Africa, the one thing I wanted to see when we we went on a missions trip, but they gave us a day and a half on safari, and the one thing I wanted to see was big cats. <laughs> like, I just wanted to see the big cats out there. I just wanted to see them in the wild, and that's one thing we didn't see. <laughs> um, a lot of giraffes, a lot of hippos, and all those other things, which is really cool to see in person, but, uh, um, but there's just this fascination with a with lion, um, and, uh, and so seeing them, like even at the Akron Zoo, has some pretty massive lions. If you haven't been down there to see them, it's just amazing. Uh, <clears throat> But the uh, the roaring lion, the roar of a lion. Um, I forgot the, to get the exact numbers. I've forgotten them. But the, it's so loud you can hear it for miles, and it's. He's not. This isn't someone like sneaking up, prowling in a way that just kind of pounces with you unexpecting. This is. I'm going to announce my presence and terrify you, and uh, and scare you into what I want you to do. This is this is how. It's, how it's describing our, our enemy, Satan, the enemy of our souls who wants us to be distracted by the cares of this world and not see the care of our loving Heavenly Father who will deliver us. So he says, be sober, be watchful, because this is what he's going to do. He's going to try to scare you and terrify you so that he can convince you to doubt God to, um, and he can destroy you. And here he says, resist him, firm in your faith, Um, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. In order to resist him, to be sober-minded, to be watchful, to resist him, we need to be firm in our faith. We we need to humbly recognize who God is and who we are before God and be grounded in the truth of our our faith. And so if we consider last week in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7— Says this, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That the testing of your faith is producing the genuineness of your faith, um, that is very precious. That when our adversary roars, that when Various trials face us that what's happening is our faith is being tested and uh, is proving who we really are before God. And when we're sober, sober and watchful and we resist, the only thing Satan can accomplish is our sanctification, as one commentator said. it That when he comes and we resist and stand firm, we become more Christ-like. And so he's producing exactly the opposite in believers than what he's attempting to do. By distracting us. But when we are firmly grounded in our hope, in our faith, then we will become more Christ like through those trials. But remember each and every day as we clothe ourselves in humility, and remember we have a, an active enemy who is trying to convince us or persuade us otherwise, and to try to bring those places to where we will allow pride to rule rather than humility. And then lastly, we want to look at uh, a humility that is grounded in hope. Verse 10 and 11, some of the most hopeful verses in the scripture. It says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. As we Look at this verse Like those who suffered for a little while We think again of Nebuchadnezzar Suffered for a little while Because of his pride And in his humility He raised him up He restored him Confirmed him Strengthened and established him All the more he will do for us Though we uh, It may not be sin That leads us into the trials It may not be our pride That is the reason that we're suffering um, uh, There are Trials come Suffering comes for various measures Sometimes it's because we're, We do stupid things Sometimes it's just, well, there's a sickness that's going around the world or something, um, or sickness and disease. We live in a broken, fallen world. Um, and sometimes there's others who do things to us that um, cause it. There's all kinds of reasons for the suffering. But in that, that we have this hope that is a temporary thing. And now, Peter's also the one that says uh, a day to God is like a thousand years, right? So a little time might be longer than we expect, as a matter of fact, it may not even be this life. That the deliverance that is promised to all believers is one day God will make all things right. And may not be in this life. And so that's when we have believers who die. We have, the ho- that have things that were never healed. Like we say, they got their ultimate healing in heaven, right? They didn't get it in this life. But the next life is so much better that we're promised in this life. This life is short. James says it's a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. But the next life is for eternity. And so we may suffer for a little while, but the God of all grace, the God who sent his son, Jesus Christ, into this world, remembers us and will, um, he will restore us. He himself. And again, chapter one, verse three through five, said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through the faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. The foundation that Peter is telling us to stand for him to resist And to trust in God Comes back to chapter 1 Where he says Look at everything God has done for you How he's called you He saved you Called you to a living hope Through Jesus Christ And he has an inheritance A hope of eternity for you That he guards Um, And and it says Who by God's power Are being guarded through faith The mighty hand of God Is guarding you through faith And so When we are suffering, we need to come back to the firm foundation of our faith. What do we believe and why do we believe it? Who is Christ? What has he done? What is the promise he has? And this hope of eternity, this hope of heaven, the time where we get to uh, see our Savior face to face. Now we see in part. We see through veiled lens, but then we'll see face to face. We will know and be fully known by God and we will be in his presence for all of eternity. The, The The sad thing is, is when we think about hope and we think about heaven, we have used our materialism to create a space and a place um, that is going to be, heaven's going to be magnificent, but when we think of it, we're like, oh, I got this mansion, I want to have all this, and we just start thinking about all the good things we're going to have in heaven. And part of that, like, which is a true promise we have from God, that there'll be no more sin, there'll be no more sorrow, there'll be, you going to wipe away the tears, all those things are good, but if those are our motivations for going to heaven, we're missing the point. The, the point about heaven is that we will be with God. We will be with Jesus Christ, our Savior, who reigns. And And the word mansion in the King James, it says, Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you, um, and, and, and my father... Uh, He's, he talks about a mansion, like the, it's the old English word for mansion is actually a, a room in my father's house that we will live in proximity to Jesus. Jesus is saying, I'm coming back so you can live close to me. You know, not far away, like we, we get these images of I got my big spread in heaven that I'm building one day. No, Jesus is saying, you're going to be close to me. And I'm excited to see Jesus. There's a, um, a wonderful song that a quartet used to sing that Uh, About going to heaven, and I will see Timothy and I will see Paul, and it just kind of walks through it. And the the part that always got me was when he would sing I'm not going to sing it because I can't sing, but he says, I want to see Jesus because he's the one who died for me. It's like everybody I get to see there is going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. Um, And it's going to be better than what we have in this life. Um, But when we see him, that's going to be what makes it worth it all. And that's what heaven is because that's our hope that in Christ my sins are forgiven in Christ I have been justified and declared righteous in Christ I am no longer an enemy of God but I'm a friend of God and that I get to be in close proximity to them that everything in us that deep down in every human is this this angst this turmoil this separation from God and some will suppress that and deny it all their lives but those of us who have seen the beauty of Christ and have received the precious gift that he has given to us can see the longing of our hearts is Jesus Christ and the goodness that we have. And it is when we live out that, when we realize that God will restore, confirm, strengthen, establish us that we can live a truly humble life before others in this world. And when we do that, we make an impact on others it's interesting, this, this concept of humility reminded me of an article I read a few years ago uh, in Forbes magazine that said, why humble leaders make the best leaders. And then the, uh, the, the writer says, hey, this is contrary to what most people say, and you think about, he mentions powerful leaders uh, like Steve Jobs, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, or Bill Gates. Like, we don't think of them necessarily as, as humble leaders, but then he kind of goes down and talks about... um um. It said a number of research studies have concluded that humble leaders listen more effectively, inspire great teamwork, and focus everyone on organizational goals better than the leadership scores on on humility. And then he just continues to talk about humble leaders and how humble leaders inspire others, encourage others. Doesn't have to be the smartest person in the room, uh, likes to hear other voices, and like humility makes a big difference, and he's talking about in the business world here. Humility makes a big difference no matter what your station of life is. When you have true humility before Christ, that you will impact others around you. And so Peter says in verse 15 of chapter 3, he says, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do this with gentleness and respect. That when we live a humble life before others because of our hope in Jesus Christ, people will see a difference in us and want to know how come you can remain calm in this situation? Like, how come you're not worried about this? How come you're content with this? Like, why? I I was um, selling Kirby vacuum cleaners years ago. I only did it for two weeks. I felt like it was a scam. But um, uh, in doing so, um, it was one of those sales jobs where, like— I got, kept getting confronted with they wanted wanted me to lie to sell a vacuum cleaner and I wouldn't do it and so that's why I ultimately quit. Um but I, had, I was on a van crew riding back with um one of my my with my team leader and uh uh he was just talking about death. He kept dreaming about death, waking up and he was he was super scared about death and he's like, "Are you scared about death?" I'm like, "No, not really." like I don't want to die right now but I'm not scared about it he's like why not and I was like well I have this hope in Jesus Christ and he's promised me that he's got me so I don't have to worry about it and he was intrigued by it and it was a late night conversation and um, and it led to other conversations but it was just this like um, yeah like God promises us that he's got us in this life and the next so why worry Why be full of strife over something we can't control? Our hope is in the Lord, because He is the victor. He is the one who has won. And so, it's not often talked about, and it's not often something we like to say, but we need to pursue humility. We need to die to self and uh, live for Christ. The answer is in who Jesus is and what He's done. And what do you believe about that? And so I'm going to pray for us that we've reminded that, that that he is Lord, that we're not God, but he is, and we can trust him. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your servant, Peter, um, who wrote this wonderful book that is just full of the promises and the hope that we have in Christ of what you have accomplished for us through the life of Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection. Lord, and for those who place their faith and trust in Jesus, that we have the assurance that you are um, working on our behalf, that your mighty hand will deliver us from our, our trials, from our struggles, from our strife, Lord, and so I pray today that as we consider these words, Lord, that that we'll see the importance of posturing ourselves before you to recognize that you are God, Lord, to allow the truth of the gospel and the doctrines that we believe to be our, our firm foundation. Lord, we confess that there's times that we believe lies about who you are we doubt that you really care for us we doubt that you would provide for us Lord and I pray that in those places that Lord you bring scripture to mind in our, our heart Lord that you'd lead us to conversation with other believers who can point us to the truth about who you are Lord and whatever cares or anxieties or struggles that are are just really preventing us to find this freedom in you Lord that you would uh, do a mighty work Lord we, we confess we, we struggle with these things And we know it's a process. And so we commit this to you and ask that you do a mighty work. In Jesus' name, amen.